Tonight's lesson is going to be a little bit different, and I'm going to step out from behind the pulpit, and uh, I'm going to ask Willie, if he will, to uh, cut a couple of those lights uh, a little darker tonight. Tonight's a little different for those of you who may be visiting with us. We're going to present the slides of our recent trip to the Bible lands, and uh, before I begin, I want to explain to you that when you go on trips like this, sometimes you go on a trip for education, sometimes you go on a trip for fun, and sometimes you go on a trip for inspiration, that is a spiritual emphasis, and sometimes you go for all three, and that's what this trip was. There was a lot of learning that took place, there was a lot of fellowship and encouragement and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the 12 days we spent as we went to the countries of Greece and Turkey. On March the 12th, there were a number of us gathered here. These are the group that loaded the bus here, and we drove to Chattanooga, picked up Brother Mark Massey and his wife, Paula. He's one of the elders at the West Fetville congregation. And then we drove on to Atlanta to meet the rest of our group, and uh, we... Uh, lined up at the Latanza uh, Airlines place, and we found out that we were going to be delayed. In fact, there was a possibility our plane might not leave at all because they had closed the Frankfurt Airport. And uh, so we did not get to leave till about 9.30 that night. And when we did, we boarded the plane, and these are huge planes. There's three on each side and four in the middle, so there's ten seats across. You wonder how the plane's ever going to get off the ground. Then we arrived the next morning, which is approximately 2 o'clock in the morning here, our time, uh, to Frankfurt, and there was snow everywhere, as you can see. Then we took our flight on from there for about another four hours to Athens, and this is a photo from the airplane as we arrived in Athens, give you some kind of idea of what that might look like. The next morning, our tour guide who led us on our tour, his name was Evie, the same name as Evie's sister. Uh, she was a real knowledgeable lady. Uh, the night she, or the day she picked us up at the airport, I was a little bit concerned because she was what I would call giddy, a little bit silly, laughed a lot. Uh, but we found out the next day she was a really good guide, knew her material real well. Our first stop was at the Corinthian Canal. This canal replaced the way the people used to uh, cross at Corinth. There used to be a thing called Dalkos, a little track that they would pull the ships across. But then in the reign of Nero, they began the idea for a canal, and it was finished in the late 1800s. And now ships are able to go from the Ionian to the Aegean Sea through this canal, and uh, the day we were there, I didn't see any ships going either direction, so uh, there must not have been any that day. Then we went on to the city of Corinth, the ancient city of Corinth, and <clears throat> when we arrived at Corinth, I looked up, this is the very first picture I took, because of the many times I've been to Corinth, I've never been able to go on top of the mountain there, it's called Acro-Corinth, and uh, I was so thrilled because I had negotiated with our tour company for our group to be able to go up there. However, just before we ended our tour, one of the tour, the tour guide came to me and said, uh, Tony, we're not going to be able to go to Acro Corinth. 
And I said, why? And she said, they're going to be going on strike in Athens. And said, we have just enough time to get to Athens to be able to go to the Acropolis. So that was my first great disappointment. But we did go through the ancient site. Here's the, uh, the uh, sign as you go in. One of the first things you do is to go into the museum. And inside the museum, there's a lentil piece of marble that has inscribed in Hebrew the first few letters of synagogue. And right under it, they have a capital, the top of a, a column that has on it menorahs, uh, the Jewish candelabra, and that is a signal that that would have been where the synagogue was at. As you go through, there's a number of things to see inside of the uh, museum. One of them is a bust of Nero. A lot of people don't know what Nero looks like. You know, when you hear him discussed in history, you think of this gruff old man. Now, that's what he probably would have looked like with a little polishing. You know, it's just like you go to a, a person today, have your photograph made. They're always going to polish out all your blemishes. You're not going to make an ugly picture of Nero and live, but this is a bust of Nero. Also in there is a mosaic. It's probably, if you're looking at me, about this tall from the floor. And it is a mosaic of Dionysius, who is the god of wine. Generally, when he is portrayed, he'll have a beard and wine will be running down it. Uh, it also is generally associated with people who become inebriated. So that's Dionysius. Our tour group then went through the uh, ruins. And behind our tour group there, you will notice the Bema. And that's where Gallio from Acts chapter 18, Paul was led before him, and uh, that's where he told them to take care of the matter themselves. Then if you look directly in front of the Bema, with the Bema at our back, you will see there's that arched area. That's what's called the area of the West Shops. And that's where there would have been a number of different shops for instance, you know, we read in the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, about eating meat sacrificed to idols. There may have been meat sold in that shop right there. Or it could have been that Paul worked with Aquila and Priscilla in making um, the various things of working with leather and working with canvas, tent makers. So you see those shops that were there. Uh, Brother Robert Hatfield, who preaches with Paul Sane at the East Hill Congregation, is taking a photograph of some of the ones that are actually buried underground, uh, which would have been probably an upper level and a lower level of some of those shops. As you come on around, there is the Temple of Apollo. It is the most dramatic thing that you see at the city of Corinth. Uh, those columns are solid, and they are very impressive. They may not look that large because of the perspective, but that is a huge area there. This time we got to go see something that I'd never seen before. Generally the area is closed off, but it's the area of the theater. And if you'll notice in front of the feet right here, there is something inscribed, and here's what's inscribed on it. What it says in our English language, Erastus, for his Adel, laid the pavement at his own expense. And the word Adel means a person who is given a position... And in favor for that position, he does something else for someone else. So he, we know from the Bible that he was the treasurer of the city. And Romans 16, 23, Erastus, the treasurer of the city, 
greet you and Quartus, a brother. So you have a Bible name and you have proof of it there and there is a long marble street that was paid for by Erastus. And here is what it looks like a little closer up. And if you will notice each of these, you will there would have been gold inlaid in those during the days of Erastus. That's just the carving. Someone has taken that out. We had to rush back toward Athens, and as we were making our journey back toward Athens, we stopped at a little, um, what I would call like convenience store, and I walked around and I saw a statue of Asclepius. And I'd never seen such a good one as this one, so I took a photograph. That's it on the left. I would love to have bought it, but for those of you with good eyes, you can see down in the lower corner it says 490 euros. That means that statue would have been about $600. So that's the reason why Tony doesn't own that statue. If it had been $20, I would have brought that one back with me. But 600 is a little too much. On the right-hand side over here, this is from the museum there at Corinth. And uh, there's a room, a votive room, which has a number of clay terracotta items that people would have given as uh, some sort of offering. If they, for instance, if your arm was broken and you, you went to the Asclepian and they healed your arm, then you would go back and you would present a terracotta arm uh, and you can see a lot of them. There's hands, some of them that are missing fingers and such things as that. Then we went to the Acropolis. We had to be in a hurry because the people who run it were going on strike. They were going to stop at the end of the day at 3 o'clock. And so we went up the Propylaea, which is the entrance to the Acropolis. You have to climb up on steps. During Paul's day, very likely there was a ramp in which they would take uh, various things to the top of the Acropolis. When you arrive out of the Propylaea, you're looking at the Parthenon. And since... Tim and I went in 1994-95 until today. They have reconstructed a lot of the Parthenon and are in the process of reconstructing it even now. If you want an idea of what one should look like, you can go to Nashville and look at the Parthenon there. This is actually the back of it. If you come around to the front of it, this is again a picture of our tour group as we stood in front of the Parthenon uh, as we walked around. As you prepare to go back down and we've made a very fast trip up there. You can see on the left-hand side, or really in the center of this photograph, another temple on the Acropolis known as the Erechtheum. What makes it so remarkable is right here, these ladies, they're called Caryatids, and they are the columns that hold up the roof there, but that is one of the areas. Now let me set up what's going to happen in our next photo. We were all being rushed down from the Acropolis. And uh, as we got to the end, I made the comment on all my trips, I'd never lost anybody. And, uh, I, you know, I really thought that was funny. I will never make that comment again. Because as we come down to the bottom of there, you can see Mars Hill. In fact, it's just west of there. And you can see the majority of our group, we're walking toward the steps. Those would have been the steps that Paul would have walked up when he went up Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. 
They built some new, really nice steps over here. But our tour guide is going to stop right here to explain to us the value of Mars Hill. But we have one of our group who was so eager to continue going uh, that we got here, and you can see everybody is paying good attention to what our tour guide, little man in back is trying to sell everybody something. And then if you'll look to the left, you'll see a, <laughs> one of our group. And uh, I actually felt like it was important to slow it down. Uh, I found this after I got back, not before, or I would have known how to have dealt with that. But uh, Brother Edward is here tonight, and let me tell you, we all loved Edward, but you need to think of Luke chapter 15 when uh, Jesus gave the parable of a man losing one sheep and he leaves the ninety and nine. Uh, Mark and I left the rest of the tour group and covered that whole area looking for Edward, but he just had too long of a head start on us. Uh, since he's here tonight, you know that we found Edward. Uh, but uh, he was gone for about two hours. Thankfully, two young girls in the placa uh, found him, called the police. We had already called the police, and uh, they got him back to us. So I will never say I haven't lost anybody again. But, uh, then we leave, and uh, the next morning as we're making our journey to the ship, right around from our hotel was a little fruit stand, gives you some kind of idea. You can see their uh, fruit was just amazingly good, the tomatoes that are there. There's also oranges and lemons along the way. The reason why I'll give a picture of the ship is I want you to understand this is a big ship. It's not a small ship because I'm going to give you a photo of the conditions we went through as we were sailing uh, this time. One of the first things we did was sail from Athens to Ephesus. We stopped uh, the night at Syros, a little small Greek island, and then we went on to Ephesus. And uh, every time before, they'd say, do you want to go to the house of the Virgin Mary? And I'd say, no, I'm not interested in that. I went and talked to them on the ship, and I said, we really don't want to go there. They said, well, you're really going to go there. So uh, uh, this is not a biblical site. Uh, some of the traditions say that when John the uh, apostle moved to Ephesus, and we know he was on the Isle of Patmos, but they say that he carried Mary with him because Jesus had said at the cross, woman, behold your son, behold your mother, and that John took care of her. And so they believe that he moved her here, and there's a little house, and they call that the house of the Virgin Mary. Now, I didn't say all that to say I believe that that's what it is, but I will tell you that it is an ancient site and this right here may just look like a, a large hole, but that's a baptistry. And uh, in the current issue of Bible and Spade, there's an excellent article on baptism in the first century. One of the things you learn is baptistries were pools in which they would immerse people. And so that ancient baptistry there I thought was an excellent illustration. From there we left and went to Ephesus. And last time we were at Ephesus, it was about 100 degrees, and you were soaking wet with sweat. This time, it was pouring down rain. I mean, a good rain. So you can see our group. We have ponchos on and umbrellas. And uh, this is right near the Magnesian Gate uh, as you move on past the Odeon. 
Um, there was not a lot of people there that day, and you can see the streets. Those are marble streets, and you know what happens to marble when it gets wet? It's really slick, so we had to be very careful uh, as we walk down these streets here, but that's mostly marble. And again, from this direction, this is the Curity Street, and uh, you can see it is even more marble, and it's even slicker. And so we had to be very careful. I will tell you that on the hillside over here are the terraced houses, and you can see at the distance the library of Celsus there. And then out in here is the area of the harbor. As you go down, you can see a number of the uh, various buildings where uh, the Ephesians would worship the emperors and where they would worship others. And our tour group, again, took another photo right in front of the uh, Library of Celsus, and that's a huge building. This is the entrance here to the Agora, where that was their marketplace. Walk on down the Curity Street as you go toward the theater, and this is the Acadian Way, and right out there is where the harbor would have been. Uh, it was very wet and rainy, but I walked as far as they would let you go. There's actually a little thing saying don't go beyond here, but I walked down as far as I could and then I turned around to take a photograph, and that's the theater where in Acts 19, you remember Paul and Demetrius the silversmith, and Paul went in, uh, was going to go in, they wouldn't allow him to go in because for two hours the Ephesians cried, great is Diana the Ephesians. That theater will seat 25,000 people. That's a huge theater there. Then we left Ephesus and went to the Isle of Patmos, and the reason why I put this photo in is because this is the idea that I had before I first visited Patmos, what Patmos looked like. I, I just thought of a barren rock. You go drop John the Apostle off there and say, okay, here you are, fend for yourself. However, when you get to the island, you realize it's a much bigger place. And you also realize there's some caves and other things there. And there's one cave which they call the Cave of the Apocalypse where they believe that John wrote the book of Revelation. I have no idea that that's what that is, but that is the cave of the apocalypse. When you come out of the cave, there's this gentleman sitting there, and that makes me think of John. And I went up to him and I said, Can I take your photograph? And he said, Yes. So I took his photograph, and then I offered to pay him something for doing that. And he said, No, 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 no. Thank you for taking my photograph. So I thought that was, was interesting there, give you some kind of idea. Also, as you go up from the cave to the top of Patmos, there is a monastery there. And from the monastery, I thought it was interesting, these ancient windmills were there. And here is a photo of looking back from the top to where our ship is right here. And now you get an idea that Patmos is a much larger island than just a that little barren rock that I showed you in the beginning. I wanted to give you some kind of idea of how bad the ship was rocking. And uh, actually it was rocking a lot worse than that. When I first walked up there, I could barely stand up and uh, the water was sloshing all the way out of the swimming pool and eventually all did slosh out. But uh, the night we sailed from Patmos to Crete, the waves were going just like this. You would come up all the way out of your bed and then sink down deep. And uh, Some of us slept real good because that's like rocking us to sleep. Uh, some had difficulty. Uh, 
our doors kept opening and closing to the bathroom because of the, the rocking of the ship. But I want you to understand, I really now have some appreciation for Acts 27. You remember Paul was being taken to Rome, and as he was going to Rome, they came south of Crete, and as they were sailing past, that's when the weather got really bad. And I think I understand now what he meant by that. While we were on the island of Crete, we went to a number of places. Uh, one of them was the church of Titus. And you might think about Titus and Crete, because in Titus 1 and verse 5, Paul said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order the things that were lacking and ordain elders in every city as I gave you charge. We were in the city of Heraklion, which is where this was at, and there's a photo of the church of Titus. We also, some of us, went to the archaeological museum while we were there. And what is interesting is they have a bust or a head of just about all of the emperors and the emperor's wives, one of the best uh, archaeological museums in all the Greek lands there. And uh, Brother Dan Cates went by. He and I took a photo of every item in the museum. So if you want to see one of everything, we've got a photo of everything in there. Uh, we went out on the area. There's a little peninsula that goes out and has a Venetian fortress there, and I wanted to take a photo give you some kind of idea of the way the rocks, the waters were beating on the rocks, and there's the Venetian fortress of Cools, and from there we left from Crete and went to the island of Santorini. It is not a biblically uh, connected island, it's just a part of the beauty of God's creation. It was created by a volcano, and it creates a circle, if you will, uh, when you sail there, and there's a beautiful photo of the city on top of the island called Fiero. You could get to the top of Santorini two ways. You could either ride a donkey or you could ride the cable car. And they said if you ride the donkey, nobody will ride with you going back because you will smell like the donkey. So I saw them walking through the city and I thought that was a good photo of them. It was a beautiful photo as the sun set and I thought about the beauty of God's creation as we were prepared. That's our ship uh, ready to depart as soon as we get back on it. The next morning we arrived back in Athens and we then went to the airport and flew from Athens to Izmir, Turkey, which is ancient Smyrna. And uh, from there we drove all the way to the, uh, the city of Colossae. And as we were driving along, our tour guide would explain to us, this is a vineyard here. Not vineyard to make uh, wine, but a vineyard for raisins. Your raisin brand, this is where the raisins come from. We got to Colossae late in the afternoon, and if you'll notice, here's a sign, but I want you to notice the snow-capped mountains. That snow melts and comes down in streams which run right by the city. This is the tail that's not been excavated. Our tour guide said, this is a five-minute stop. You guys will get off, look at it, jump, take your photos, jump back on. As soon as you opened the door, all 20 of us jumped off the bus, ran to the top of the tail, and he's standing down there just amazed at us about how we were so interested in it. Uh, there I am out of breath after running up that hill. Uh, you can't see me breathing hard, but uh, the purpose of this is to show you the mountains at the background. This is the city of Honaz today. Uh, 
but you can get some kind of idea of an unexcavated place. This is the lentil and this is an entrance. So the city is actually still buried. It's not been excavated. And uh, this is Gordon and Nancy, and I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, look at the fall off behind them. Uh, you know, one wrong step and it's a long way down. But if you'll look back in this direction, this is Colossae and the distance is Hierapolis and Laodicea is in the middle of them. The cold water coming, coming from Colossae, the hot water coming from Hierapolis, both running into Laodicea, which is going to be lukewarm. Uh, Brother B.J. Clark stood next to one of the columns that was found there. And you say, well, why didn't you take these pictures when you were there last time? When we were there last time, the, the grass was over waist deep and you did not know if there might be a snake in the middle of them. I went about halfway up and decided that's as far as I needed to go, but now you can see the grass is much shorter. One of the things I wanted to see was the theater there. The tour guide said he had never seen it. But you can see the outline of it. These are where the seats would have been. Uh, you can see the grass is short. A wonderful thing to be able to see. The next morning, after we stayed at Hierapolis, we went to Pamukkale, which is also known as Hierapolis, and we decided to have a group photo in front of this. That's not snow. That's calcium deposits, travertine. Uh, sort of like your tea. That's the reason why it's white. Uh, we picked up a new member of our group. You may not have noticed him right there. I noticed afterwards that he also got in some other people's photos as well. He's evidently been trained to be a part of that. There's Amy Prince next to all this. Again, that's not snow because those are hot springs coming out of the side of that mountain there. And you can see the steam rising off the water. And these are actually buildings where the columns have fallen and the hot water has made a pool there, you know, the ancient pools. And it's important for you to realize the way they used water. They used aqueducts because they're on the high part and the water would naturally flow, and this goes the direction, if you keep following it, down to Laodicea. That's your ancient uh, aqueduct. <laughs> then we went to Laodicea, and I didn't have great expectations because when we were there before, the main thing that you found at Laodicea was a main street, and you went over and there was a theater there. When we arrived this time, I was amazed. They had reconstructed a large part of the city. And this is called Temple A here. What you can't see is they have actually taken the floor up here and put a glass floor in that you can walk on. You can see the arch below it. There's columns down here. And uh, again, I could show you a lot of photographs, but give you some kind of idea that they're in an active reconstruction area. And we went to the theater we went to last time, which was very impressive. Thousands of people can sit here. But then our guide said, okay, let's go to the North Theater. And I said, you mean there's another one? And so we go, and this one here will seat probably close to the number that would seat at Ephesus. It's a huge theater. So the city of Laodicea was so wealthy, they had two theaters there. And then you could walk back, and they're again reconstructing some of the other temples. There's Brother Edward is. He was catching a breath. Uh, we did a lot of walking while we were on this trip. The next morning we went to the, or that afternoon, excuse me, we went to the city of Philadelphia. I will tell you there's not much to see there. You drive through the little town. You arrive at an area called St. John's Church, built 600 A.D., so it's not during the time of Christ. 
There's not much left but some columns there. I did take a photo because most of what you saw was modern cars and modern people. And uh, then occasionally you'd see a man there with, I guess, he has two wives. I don't know. Uh, but two women and his animal and moving his stuff there. We did stop at a restaurant. I don't know if you'll notice the middle name, the O'Dunn Cafe. Uh, you know, if you eat somewhere, you're O'Dunn. Uh, but uh, you can see the laughter of Gordon and Aunt, uh, Amy and Andy as we were standing in front of it. From there, we went to the city of Sardis. And uh, there's our tour guide, Barchin. And we walked down this street that had the shops. And then you came around to the uh, synagogue. And there's Bill and Joan. Uh, they're with us tonight as they went through the synagogue. And then you came out to the gymnasium. And uh, you may think that's the front of it. Actually, that's the inside. Because these were columns that went down through here. There's columns on the other side. That would have been the end of one of the buildings. A huge gymnasium there. And it's also in the product process of being restored. You go on the other side of the road, probably three or 400 yards away, is the Temple of Artemis. And these columns here are huge. It's hard to explain how large they are. This is the area of the Acropolis where Sardis, the, uh, the people, thought they were impenetrable. But to give you some kind of idea of the height of the capital, I had Mark stand next to one of them so you could see how huge they were. You come back, and there is the river Pactolus, and there's a number of sheep there. I thought that looked really um, apropos for the area. We went on to Izmir. We spent the night in the Antur Hotel there, really nice hotel. And then we went the next morning to Thyatira. Uh, it's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 2. It's also the city from which Lydia was from. There's not much there. You can see it's in the middle of a city block. There's just a number of various pieces of marble laying around, and that's about all you can see. Then we left and went to the city of Pergamum, probably one of the most impressive of sites. We went before, and we had to ride a tour bus all the way around. You just sort of circle like you're going up to Short Mountain Bible Camp. Now they've actually built a cable car where you can load a new modern one, and you can come up to the top of the mountain there, and you can see the modern city of Bergama that's there, Pergamum. And uh, this is where the library was located. It's a huge area. Uh, many people may not know that in the first century, there were two major libraries. One was at Alexandria in Egypt. The other was here at Pergamum. And Alexandria didn't want for Pergamum to get ahead of them, so they embargoed all of the papyrus going there. And so the king of Pergamum developed parchment, animal skins, in which they used for writing. And that's where the library is at. Here's the theater. Give you some kind of idea of the elevation. It is extremely steep. Give you an idea. There's Bill helping Brother Edward down, and behind him is Brother Carl Houndshell and uh, uh, Brother Mark Nassie. There were several people walking very carefully so that nobody fell and ended up at the bottom of the theater. Come on around, and there is the remnants, the remainder of the grand altar. There was a beautiful marble altar there, but uh, it was taken and shipped to Berlin, and that's where it's contained. Then we left and went to Assos, and tonight Kevin read about uh, Paul going ahead from Troas, walking to Assos. That's probably about 10 miles. 
at least, and there's Jane and uh, Amy on the area around the soaps. One thing I had to put in there is uh, Elmer Fudd must be in charge of teaching the uh, Turks how to speak because every time they use a V, they pronounce it as a W, and every time they use a W, they pronounce it as a V. So we had vegetable soup that night. Uh, and the next morning, I took a photo again, and uh, right here is the area of the harbor. There's the ancient part of it. And I will tell you, to the, just outside the photo on the left-hand side was the island of Lesbos, from which the word lesbian comes from today. Uh, it was the island where women wrote poetry at. So just thought I'd mention that to you. On the way to Troas, uh, there was a number of sheep there on the side. We got to Troas. There's some of the baths. The site was actually locked and closed. But we got on top of the fences and took photographs of it. We weren't going to leave without some photographs, and I took a photo there of the sign uh, next to it. Then we went to the ancient city of Troy. Again, not a biblical site, uh, but you all know about the... Uh, great Trojan horse. We were all looking forward to seeing it, but they were restoring it. So we saw the drapes over the Trojan horse. Uh, you, again, you can see some of the Odeon that, where they would have musical performances. We crossed at the Dardanelles and went over to uh, the European side of Turkey and made a long all-day drive to Istanbul. We come in, that's one of the best photos I could find. Most of mine were a blur. But those are the ancient walls and ancient aqueducts of uh, Istanbul. That night, people always will ask me, well, what do you eat? That's lentil soup. And on the side, those are cucumbers and peppers. And you have bread. And then for our supper, those are little lamb cutlets and mashed potatoes. Uh, so I'll give you some kind of idea. We ate lamb it seemed like 90% of the time. This is downtown Istanbul next to our hotel where some of us walked around. The next morning we went to the Top Kapi Palace, which is the Palace of the Sultan. And uh, there's a beautiful place there. And then you can see a number of the uh, various items in the bazaar. The next place you go to is Hagia Sophia, which was a church built by Justinian. And you go inside of it, and it's a big, beautiful building of those domes. There's Brother Mark and Sister Paula Massey from Fayetteville uh, in the upper part of it. <laughs> Some of us wore down. And uh, so I told, I told Edward he was going to figure prominently in some of ours tonight. And, uh, but on the way out, this is a mosaic, and it's, it's hard to believe how beautiful some of these mosaics are. The photos do not do them justice. This time, one place we went new was the cisterns. You have to have water in each of these cities. And so uh, they built these cisterns, and uh, they're beautiful. But this is all water, and this was a water storage place. And you can now walk through them and see those cisterns. And it's right in front of the uh, Hagia Sophia. Then we went through the mosque. That's called the Blue Mosque. And uh, again, I have no interest in the mosque whatsoever other than their buildings. And there is the Egyptian uh, pillar that was sent by the Egyptians. They put it up in the courtyard there. Um, just to give you some kind of idea. The last place that I'm going to show you is the, uh, uh, the Grand Bazaar, which is the original shopping mall 
dates back anywhere from the 11th to the 13th century. It's all under roof. There's about 3,000 shops in that place, so you can easily get lost. I gave our groups maps so you can know how to get back to uh, where we were going to meet. We didn't stay in there too long, but uh, that's a, a little bit of the trip. Wendy, if you'll grab those other lights, please. I realize that tonight this was not the kind of lesson that you would normally have to try to uh, uh, teach someone what it takes to become a Christian. Let me tell you what grave concern I have. Whenever I visit Israel, Jordan, whenever I visit Greece or Turkey, I realize that all of these people are written about in the Bible. And you get there today and there are no churches that are there. There are no Christians that are there. And what that does is emphasize to us how important it is for us to be a Christian and remain a Christian. And the only way to teach people to do that is to teach them to obey the simple gospel plan of salvation, to teach them to love the Bible, to love the Word of God. And once you do that, you recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And He said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through Me. That's the only way you're going to get to go to heaven. And yet, men have sometimes abandoned that. I want to encourage you tonight, if you're not a Christian, to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian and your life has gone to the point where you're about ready to give it up, it's time for you to come back home and be faithful and be loyal to the Lord. If you need to respond tonight, would you come as together we stand and sing?